in the notes. It was up, up on the screen, but we'll go here. It says this, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God, and without fear it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. This is the word of the Lord. So welcome to all of you. Welcome to those who are watching online. We are very happy that you are with us this morning. Um, Open your Bibles. We are going to be in Hebrews chapter 11 for the um, main part of our time today. Um, But first, let us pray and ask the Lord to bless this time we have together. Father, there is nothing we can offer you this morning that is pleasing to you in ourselves. We come to you today in humility, trusting fully and completely in the finished work of Christ, that through him our worship would be acceptable and pleasing to you. Bless this time we have this morning. Speak through your word. I ask that I would decrease and that Christ increase, for it is in his name we pray. Amen. So, there are several, I would say a majority of the great movies and books and different works out there, um, you have a good guy or good guys, and you have a bad guy and bad guys, and there are a lot of these stories that, the, that there's somebody that is focused on immortality or a way to cheat death or a way to beat death, and that is usually the bad guy. And usually it's some sort of obsession with this idea of living forever. They are so moved in this direction that it ultimately usually leads to their downfall, their demise, their defeat by the hands of the good guy, because they know that No one truly escapes death, that death is waiting for us. Stories are embellished in a lot of ways to provide us with epic battles and stunning victories and imagery, a great quest and the message that good always triumphs over evil. They all seem to present the same message in the end. Everybody dies. We are all mortal We are all frail, and God has ultimately numbered the days of our lives. Death is an interesting thing to think about, and most people don't like to think about it, and I truly think that that is natural because death is not a pleasant thing to consider. It is a result of sin in this world. It is proof of sin in this world, and death is the constant reminder of the wickedness in this world. The fate of all people, no matter how hard we try to avoid it. Now, for a Christian, there is no fear in death. We may fear how we are going to die. I think all of us would prefer to die in a sleeping fashion in a ripe old age, but not all of us get to die in that way. So I think there is a fear in how we die, but not a fear of death itself. We rest upon the promises of God that those who have the Son have eternal life. 
And this life everlasting comes through the preaching of the gospel and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And we will see more of this as we continue on. But I want to take a moment and talk about this desire for heaven that we see around us. Because the main subject matter of the message today, heaven, is something to consider here. So today we're looking at the person of Enoch. We are going through this uh, list of people in Hebrews, these heroes of the faith. This is the Enoch in the genealogy of Adam uh, through the line of Seth. This is not to be confused with the son of Cain. One thing that shows me uh, that the Bible is true and reliable is that if somebody just decided to write the Bible in hopes to start a new religion, there are a lot of name repeats in there, and that doesn't show a very good creative mind if we're really, really getting down to it. And the fact that you have people in the Bible named Gomer has also kind of proved to me that this story was not really made up because who in their right mind would do that to somebody? And if anybody's name here is Gomer, I apologize. Um, it's a beautiful name. Uh, but we see throughout the genealogies and throughout the Bible, we see names of people who are. The same. We see two Enochs in Genesis. We see two Lamechs in Genesis. In the New Testament, we have a few Johns, a few Judes, and quite a few. And apparently, Enoch and Lamech were just popular names back then. Just as we would have Johns and Adams and Brians and all that around here. But Enoch is one of two people in the Bible and the history of the world, really, who did not die. He was taken to heaven by God. And there are others who are alive today that claim that they go to heaven or that they have been to heaven. And in fact, you can make a lot of money off of this claim of going to heaven and giving this kind of testimony. Several books have been written on this subject, and many people make this claim. If you go um, to the Barnes and Noble, and you go into the Christian section, you may see books by a person by the name of Kat Kerr. And Kat Kerr is somebody who claims that she goes to heaven on almost a daily basis. And she says this, I am a spokesperson for heaven. I've been there to just hang out with God. Or God tells her certain things when she goes to heaven. God reveals to her revelations of the future or special messages that she wants to give. For example, there was somebody, she was talking on the phone with somebody who uh, she was about to turn 30 years old and they had planned this big birthday celebration with her and her brother and her brother died not long before her 30th birthday. And so she's telling Kat about this and Kat says, and I was immediately taken up to heaven to talk to her brother because she was concerned that her brother forgot about her or had forgotten about this birthday. So he wanted me to tell her that he was still thinking about her and that he was going to be there for her birthday. So that's her testimony, and you can find different videos of that on YouTube, but I tried to do the video watching for you so you didn't have to. You also, in the Christian books section, might find books with the titles like Heaven is for Real, 90 Minutes in Heaven, or for some of you, 23 Minutes in Hell, if that's interesting, and so on and so forth. And many people, and myself included in this, have fallen into these stories thinking that this really seals the, seals the deal, that it really confirms our faith. 
And I'll come back to this also in a little while. Now, Enoch is an interesting character. He's unique and mysterious in some ways, and I would place him kind of at the same level as Melchizedek in a lot of ways, Uh, someone the Bible holds in very, very high esteem that the Bible uses as examples of faith, but really doesn't give us a whole lot to go off of when it comes to these different characters. And I think it's appropriate that we don't know who the author of Hebrews is. He's kind of a mystery to us, but the author of Hebrews is actually the one who gives us more information upon both of these characters. Uh, The writer of Hebrews helps us to understand just who these people are. But here we are looking at the second man of faith listed in the genealogy or the the list of heroes in Hebrew, um, Enoch. And because of the lack of details given about Enoch, there has come a lot of speculation about who he is, what he did, what he was like, and it has caused people to go off into areas that we probably shouldn't go and are not very helpful. And when I was preparing for this morning, I was was tempted to speculate a little bit more about Enoch than I probably should as well, because I love mystery. I love these kind of unexplained phenomena of the world. I I enjoy archaeology, and every time something pops up somewhere else in the world that seems very mysterious, I'm very fascinated by it. But we can spend all day talking about these different speculations, and they're really not going to be helpful to us in the long run. But the first thing I would like to point out about Enoch is that he's really not mysterious at all. The mystery of Enoch comes with these speculations. The mystery of Enoch comes with the, with the pseudofig, uh, pseudepigraphal books of Enoch, and while I think these writings are interesting, and I think they can be in help, helpful in some ways, especially as we study the, the canon of Scripture, um, they are not Scripture, but if, as we study, we can, we can pull from that. Uh, they are not God-breathed. They hold no authority over our lives, and frankly, they seem to mix mythology and truth, and we can get lost in those different ways. So as we look at the character of Enoch this morning, I would like to focus first upon the things that we know about Enoch. Because while there are these handful of verses in Genesis, Hebrews and Jude, the Bible tells us more about him than we sometimes might realize. If we ask somebody who was Enoch in the line of Seth, they might say, well, he was the guy who never died. And depending on your eschatology, he might come back as one of the two witnesses in the end. But that's usually where it ends. As we look at the character of Enoch... Let's consider this, what the Bible says. The first thing, he lived in a time after people started calling upon the name of the Lord. In the days of Enosh, people began to call upon the days of the Lord. Two, we know that Enoch fathered Methuselah, and more details on that in a little while as well. We know that Enoch walked with God, and this is said twice about him in the passage in Genesis that we read. And usually when the Bible repeats something, it's calling special focus upon that detail. Fourth, God took him. Fifth, God taking him means he did not see death. As Hebrews tells us, this was a result of faith. Sixth, he was commended for having pleased God. Seven, he had a close and personal relationship with God. And eight, Jude tells us that he was a prophet, and specifically a prophet of judgment, and we will look on that 
in a little while as well. I kind of feel like circle back, circle back going on right now, but we will get to it. So this chapter of Genesis is a chapter of death, Genesis chapter 5. Adam lived, had kids, and died. Seth lived, had kids, and died. Enosh lived, had kids, and died. And on and on it goes until it gets to Enoch. And Enoch breaks this pattern of death. We'll read it again, verse 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. There is no mention of death for Enoch. He was, then he was not. Enoch walked with God. And this is where we will focus this morning, to walk with God. Walking with God is not unique and special to Enoch only. God calls us to walk with him every day, to walk in his ways. Some proofs of this, Psalm 81:13. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. Zechariah 3, 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, if you walk in my ways and if you will perform my service... Then you will also govern my house and also have charge of my courts, and I will grant you free access among these who are standing here. Deuteronomy 19.9, if you carefully observe all the commandments which I have commanded you today to love the Lord your God and to walk in his ways. Psalm 119, verse 3, they also do no unrighteousness, they walk in his ways. The Bible tells us in Genesis 6 that Noah walked with God. Adam and Eve walked with God, and God, they heard the voice of God walking in the midst of the garden. God commanded Abraham to walk before him. Over and over and over again throughout Scripture, we see this theme to walk with God or to walk in his ways. And to truly walk with God and in his ways, we must have faith. And Pastor last week gave us this picture of what true faith looks like and how Hebrews says it is impossible to please God without true faith. Walking with God goes beyond just following a specific set of rules and regulations. Longman and Garland, in their commentary on this, says this, As important as the law is, we should not lose sight of the fact that from the author's perspective, the way of the law given at Sinai did not prove successful, Deuteronomy 31.27. Another way lay open in the future. That way was already exemplified in men such as Enoch, who walked with God, Noah, who walked with God, and Abraham, who believed the Lord and, credited to, and it was credited to him as righteousness. It is to those distant patriarchs who lived long before the giving of the Sinaitic law that Genesis turns for its model of faith and trust in God. This concept here of pleasing God is something that has struck me. It's hard for me to get through a sermon without quoting the late and great Dr. R.C. Sproul, um, who is my hero in the faith, but he has a book called Pleasing God. And I would like to read for you the preface of this book, as it has many wonderful things to say, but it also fulfills my quota of quoting him today. He writes this, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, Matthew 3.17. There are three occasions in the New Testament when God spoke audibly, from heaven, Jesus' baptism, the transfiguration, 
and Jesus' address after the triumphal entry. On the first two of the occasions, God declared that he was pleased with his son. What higher approval could a person enjoy than to know that what he or she has done is pleasing to God? Every Christian should have a passion to please God. We are to delight in honoring him. It should be our greatest desire to please our Redeemer. We all begin the Christian faith with the intention of living in such a way as to please God, but we encounter obstacles along the way. We meet with conflicts between what pleases us and what pleases God. We need help in overcoming these obstacles. In a real way, the Christian life is often a struggle. We gain ground and then slip backwards. There is such a thing as backsliding. Sometimes the slide seems as if it's greased with the slickest substance the devil can use. But like children who totter at the top of a slide, fearful to move, we have a heavenly Father who guards the edge and who waits at the bottom of the slide to catch us in his arms. This world will throw everything at us in order to derail us and pull us away from God. And of course, if we've lived long enough in a Christian life, we know this. This is why the Bible describes the Christian life in such ways as warfare or running away a race or enduring to the end. Living a life that is pleasing to God is a very difficult thing to do. Impossible if not for the grace that God is granting us in faith. Since he is our focus this morning, let us consider Enoch in this task. A man who lived 365 years and was known to have pleased God because he walked with him. Imagine this. Many of us find it hard to make it a whole day in our walk with God and consider ourselves pleasing to him. Enoch walked with God for 300 years after he fathered Methuselah. And just because this is only five chapters into Genesis does not mean that things were good. Sin was already in the world, as we saw in Genesis chapter 3. Murder had already taken place. We see this in the line of Cain. And then Lamech took multiple wives. And in just a few short years, the first great judgment of God would come with the flood. In fact, the name that Enoch gives his son, Methuselah, is actually a prophecy in and of itself. The oldest man in Scripture, Enoch, named Methuselah as being led by God, it seems. And the name Methuselah means whose death shall bring, or the man of the javelin, the man of the, of the sword, or sending forth. This was prophetic in itself as the year Methuselah died, the flood shot forth. The flood came. It was linked with divine judgment. And the mercy of God is that he lived for 969 years before this judgment came. God was patient with the wicked for almost a thousand years during Methuselah's life. For a thousand years, there was a warning of judgment. There was a call to the world to walk with God. As we said before, this phrase is said of Enoch twice, twice, grabbing our attention. He is set apart from the others in this genealogy. Death is the result of sin. Death came to everyone and comes to all of us except Enoch. Why? Because he walked with God. 
for over 300 years. And we consider it to be a great thing to walk with God for 80 or 90 years of our life. And it is. And I don't want to diminish this at all. People like me look to these older saints who have lived their life in a, in a way that is pleasing and honoring to God. And I, my prayer is that if I am gifted that long of life, that I would hope that that would be something I can say as well or somebody could say of me. But it is a struggle, especially in a world that is also pointed towards judgment. Think about that for a moment. Enoch lived in a world that was pointed directly towards divine judgment. And we also live in a point where the world is directly pointed to divine and global just judgment. The only difference is Enoch's judgment back then was not the final judgment. Our judgment is the final judgment. There were godly people back then, of course. We see that in the line of Seth. Seth was a godly man, and his line is the godly line. But the corruption was severe in the world. The wickedness was the norm. Are there godly people today? Of course there are. But corruption is also severe. And Pastor will go into this more in the coming weeks as we talk about Noah. But I thought it important to point out here In our world today, pornography makes more money every year than professional basketball, baseball, and football combined. We have people having their bodies surgically mutilated and manipulated in order to fit the fantasy of changing from their current gender to the one they identify with. The murder of babies is called health care. We lower God down to the level of every other God by saying that He is the only one to sound, or that He is not the only one to salvation that all other roads can lead to God. We mock his holiness. We mock his authority. Friends, our time today is bad. Our, the time of Noah was bad. For as our own Lord said this, for as were the days of Noah, so will the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. Judgment lingers over our heads every single day. We do not know when our Lord will return. And we have two choices for this time that we spend waiting for him. We can walk in the ways of God, or we can walk in the ways of the world. We can walk in holiness clothed in the righteousness of Christ, or we can walk in sin. And think about Enoch. Think about that day when God took him. We don't know what that day looked like. We don't know if it was like Elijah where a chariot of fire came down from heaven and swooped him up into heaven, or if he was just gone. We don't know. What we do know, according to Hebrews 11, is that he was commended for having pleased God. He was known as a man who lived in such a way that was pleasing to God. And one day, he just did not come home. Imagine Mrs. Enoch setting the table for dinner, gathering all their children together, Methuselah being 300 years old at this point and still living at home. Some of you are thinking that, That might be your future as well. And they're waiting, 
and they're hungry, and they're thirsty, and nobody can eat until dad gets home. It's the rule. And he never walks in. He never comes home. Eventually, they just start eating because they can't wait any longer. He's just gone. And maybe there's some talk amongst the different tribes and the people that maybe he abandoned his family or that maybe there are, he was killed by a wild animal as he was out doing his day-to-day business. But the writer of Hebrews tells us that he was commended for having pleased God. He's dead? No. The Lord took him. It pleased God. He pleased God. It was not speculation on the part of the writer of Hebrews or Genesis. It was known. This was a known fact about Enoch, that either by witnesses who saw it happen or by the revelation of divine inspiration, it was known that Enoch pleased God. The man of Enoch did not see death. This did not appear, at least what we're told in Scripture, this did not appear to be a time of miracles when Enoch lived. Jude says that Enoch was a prophet, so there was the word of the Lord going forth in some capacity, but we're not told of any real miracles happening. So the only way one could describe the disappearance of Enoch was that the Lord took him. Dr. John MacArthur puts it this way, Enoch walked with God, and one day they just walked right into heaven together. And we will get there too, church. We're either going to die or the Lord will return. But if we walk with God, we will be there. We can rest upon the promises of God. We will get to share in this glorious picture of everlasting and eternal fellowship of our Lord. We are saved if we are in Christ. If we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, this is our future. This is our hope Enoch sets this example that is to be given for all true believers. For God grants us faith, and this faith faith makes it possible for us to please God. This is why I say that even though Enoch is unique in the line of, of Genesis here, that he did not see death that was taken, he's not unique in the way that of his faith pleasing God, because if you are in Christ, you are pleasing to God through the faith that is granted to us. This hope doesn't come to us because somebody almost died and went to heaven, as we see in many of these books that are written, and then came back and give a testimony of what he or she saw, or somebody who went to hell and back and speaks of the horrors that they saw. All this does is tell a good story, or in some cases, a bad story, if we think theologically. But the hope comes not because somebody went up to heaven, but because somebody came down from heaven. God the Son, the second person in the Trinity, took on human flesh, came to earth to live a perfect life, to die a death on the cross that you and I both deserve and rise again on the third day, defeating death, defeating hell, conquering sin. His testimony is the only one we need, and it's the only one that gives true eternal life. There are several accounts in the Bible of people being resurrected from the dead, 
the widow of Zarephath's son in 1 Kings 17, the Shunammite woman's son in 2 Kings 4, the man who was thrown into the grave of Elisha are the Old Testament examples. New Testament, we have the widow's son in Luke 7, and after she was, he was raised, verse 10 says, they glorified God. Jairus' daughter in Luke 8, Lazarus in John 11, and Tabitha in Acts 9, and because of this text, uh, many, it, it says that many believed in the Lord. Eutychus in Acts 20, who serves as a great warning not to fall asleep in church. And then in Matthew 27, many saints were raised from the dead when Christ died. When Jesus raised Lazarus, it was not so that he could see his friend again. He was going to see him in glory very soon. He was on the road to his death. And Lazarus really had nothing else to worry about because he was, well, dead. If you really think about it, though, the probability dawned on Lazarus just in passing that he has to die again after this point, because he did. He eventually died again. But what did Jesus say before he raised him from the dead? He said this, Father, I'm doing this so people will believe in a general afterlife in heaven? No. He said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you have sent me. He was glorified in this. When Enoch was taken, ultimately, it was for and to the glory of God, to serve as a testimony to Christ and who he is, our eternal Savior, the one who rescues us from death, the one that we may not be taken bodily to heaven as we walk from God, but we will be taken to heaven to be with our Lord. All of these things are to serve as an example that point us to Christ, that it is God who has the power to raise the dead. It is God who has the power over death, and it's not about proving heaven or hell. It's about who has the power to save us from our sins that condemn us to hell, that we might spend eternity in the arms of our Savior. The faith of Enoch is not so that we focus upon him. Yes, he serves as an example of faith. Yes, he is an outstanding person. But the one who that faith is in is who we set our focus on. And as we take these next few months or year or however long it takes us to get through this list of, of heroes in Hebrews chapter 11, let us always consider who these people focus on and who they point us towards and who their faith was in and who their lives pointed to. For Enoch, it was the seed of the woman who would come to crush the head of, of the serpent, that longing for the coming Savior and placing his hope in the one that was to come. So like the Old Testament saints looked forward to the coming of the Messiah, so we look back at the Messiah, Christ Jesus, who fulfilled the law, who lived and died and put himself up as a sacrifice on our behalf. So walk with 
God, church. And be encouraged in this. If you are in Christ, you are pleasing to him. Your sins are forgiven. So walk with God. If you are not in Christ this morning, you remain dead in your sins. And there is no hope for you if you continue to look for your, to yourself or other things for your salvation. Salvation is in Christ and him alone. And I pray today is the day of your salvation. Father, I thank you for the examples of men like Enoch, a man who was faithful, who was pleasing to you. Lord, all of us who belong to you, I pray that we would live lives that glorify you, that when that day comes, when we are called home to be with you, we would not be remembered as simply being good men or women, good husbands, wives, fathers, or mothers, but that we would be remembered as faithful men and women of the gospel that you have entrusted to us and that we walked with you. We pray this in Christ's precious name. Amen. Thank you, Mr. Bill Hart, for setting before us the challenge of the testimony.